Streaming from Abby Cat Recording Studio in Chicago. You are listening to Influence, a podcast where we explore what makes great music influential. Welcome to the latest episode of the second season of Influenced. I'm Blake Sokoloff. And I'm Robert Dean. And this week, we're doing kind of the queen of country rock, uh, Linda Ronstead. And she she definitely got her, her start in the late 60s, early 70s, and kind of pretty quickly became one of the, like, biggest powerhouse vocalists and certainly one of the biggest female vocalists to come out of the late 60s kind of early 70s years kind of post Janis Joplin Grace Slick she got her she got her um her her start in the kind of late 60s in uh in a kind of very folk rock kind of 60s band called the Stone Ponies based out of LA I mean she was born in Tucson Arizona but she kind of got out of there as soon as she graduated from school did she was really young she was like oh, yeah. 18 and she yeah. connected with this guy Bobby Kimmel yeah and put the Stone Ponies together and I know the other musician in the band Kenny Edwards the bass player would kind of go on to play in Linda's uh solo band once she went solo, which happened pretty quickly. After the band had their kind of single hit as a group, a uh, different drum off their second album, Evergreen Volume 2, which I believe released in 1967. Um, but the band pretty quickly went went their separate ways after they released a few albums. Like the group originally started out as kind of one of those classic '60s harmony groups, sort of similar to the Mamas and Papas, or it wasn't like one member was featured heavily. And then different drum kind of changed all that because that song really, really features Linda Linda Ronstadt's super powerful vocals. And then all the producers and kind of everyone around the band, their managers and things started to uh, really just give, put the spotlight on Linda, which kind of left a bad taste in the other band members' mouths, kind of almost to the point, well, actually to the point that this their last album, the, the Stone Ponies' last album was actually credited to Linda Ronstead and the Stone Ponies, um, which I don't think was necessarily the... Um, the yeah, intention of the other two band members. So the band pretty quickly um, kind of melted away to make room for Linda's solo career. But here I will play their one hit, um, Different Drum, off of Evergreen Volume 2 from 1967 by the Stone Pony. So here you go.
Yeah, big breakthrough hit for uh, Linda Ronstadt and Stone Ponies together. But uh, number 13 in the U.S. and one of 21 top 40 hits for for Linda over the years. Yeah, I mean, she had had quite the uh, chart career throughout her whole um, recording career for sure. She's definitely like a very, very big chart mainstay but that song mm-hmm. is 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 always a little bit funny to me too because it's it's a very 60s song like mm-hmm. it's it, it sounds like it could almost be like a a zombies track or something like that it's it definitely doesn't really pay a lot of attention to linda's actual influences like she was very inspired by like a lot of the early 50s kind of rockabilly crooners mm-hmm. like uh roy orbison and um buddy holly she kind of famously covered both uh, a song by both of those artists. She covered That'll Be the Day by Buddy Holly and Blue Bayou, of course, by Roy Orbison, which actually kind of became one of her sort of signature songs kind of immediately after the Stone Ponies uh, breakup in like the the late 60s, like 1969, 1970. She pretty much immediately embarked on, on a solo career. And her solo career in the early 70s was very much kind of like figuring out exactly what her sound would be. Mm -hmm. She would obviously become ultimately famous for that very heavy country rock influence. And she was kind of discovering that on her early solo albums. And I'll play a song off of her um, 1970 solo album, Silk Purse. Um, This song is long, long time, but it's one of her first kind of songs where she she started getting some airplay around kind of California and uh, the West Coast and began sort of a sort of a heavy heavy touring schedule around kind of the west coast and here's long long time off of her 1970 album silk purse just real quick uh just to kind of give you a taste of what her early solo career was starting to kind of shape into sounds like good advice but there's no Yeah, and you can really that showcasing of her vocal and the you know the huge Linda Ronstadt vocal just coming through. That was the kind of thing I feel like they kind of knew to highlight immediately as right. soon as her solo career started. Like like that that song doesn't really have it has a little bit of that like soft touched acoustic guitar mm-hmm. and things like that. But that song reminds me more of like a kind of a Nancy Sinatra or a Dusty Springfield song than yeah. it would like a, a country kind of track. And I do think a lot of her country influence kind of came from a lot of the musicians that she was kind of surrounding herself with in her in the early 70s when she was kind of doing a lot of these west coast small tours and things like that and so kind of most i i I would say kind of most famously um in 1970 to kind of 71 um she was kind of forming a new band for for her solo tours and everything and she needed a a guitarist a rhythm guitarist who could sing Mm -hmm. and kind of a she was looking for everyone who could everyone she wanted to kind of get in on some backing vocals so she was kind of like anyone who joined the band 
needed to be able to sing. So she was looking for like a singing drummer mm. and she found uh she found a pretty good singing drummer and yeah. a and a and a guy she found just playing around some bars Not named, bad. named Not uh bad. Don Henley <laughs> and uh and a and a rhythm guitarist named Glenn Fry. Yeah. She she kind of was honestly the catalyst who I mean, honestly, you could probably say Linda Ronstead kind of created the Eagles, mm-hmm. especially because she was actually she was actually the one who knew um, Bernie Leadon yeah. uh, before Don Henley and Glenn Fry knew Bernie because he she had she had kind of knew him from being kind of a session player and things like that. And, and he did some work for her too. And he right? and yeah. he yeah he did do some work for her like playing on some of her songs and yeah. early early work and things like that. And um, so the Eagles kind of formed as peers of Linda Ronstead and kind of at the tail end of one of the tours that Glenn and, and Don were doing with Linda, they kind of came to her and were like, hey, Linda, we might want to kind of form our own band. Is that OK? <laughs> and they they kind of were expecting her to not be super into it because right, she'd be losing right. a couple players. You know, and, you know, great, and, great and yeah, great, great players. Yeah. They were super surprised in that, like, she was super into it. She wanted to hear some of the songs mm-hmm. they were working on. She was like she kind of became a major Eagle supporter and while the Eagles' first album did really, really well, they had a lot of pop-off hits with Peaceful Easy Feeling and things like that, their second album, just self-titled Desperado, kind of didn't didn't hit the way they really wanted it to when it first came out. Like, their record label kind of um, sort of famously labeled it like a cowboy album, and yeah. and they, they uh, didn't really know how to promote it kind of until... Linda Ronstead in 1973 on her one of her I think it's her third or fourth solo album Don't Cry Now from 1973 she covered Desperado without telling any of the other guys in the Eagles and mm. and it kind of I mean her her Desperado became a big hit for her and it also kind of made that song and that album a standout cut for the Eagles because that the, the, the Eagles song Desperado was never even released as a single um, f- f- in the in the Eagles' lifetime, mm. so the way that that song kind of became an iconic song is definitely through Linda Ronstadt's version. So I'll play it here real quick, just for a little bit. Here's Linda Ronstadt's "Desperado" off her 1973 album "Don't Cry Now." Desperado, why don't you come to? You've been out riding fences for so long now Oh, you're a hard one But I know that you got your reasons These things that are pleasing you will hurt you somehow Yeah, really interesting that Linda Ronstadt's version there um, made the Eagles hit for them, which is kind of interesting because otherwise you think about how iconic of a song it is for the Eagles. Oh, definitely. And otherwise that would have been some deep cut song on their second album just buried down in there. Linda's association with the Eagles and a lot of their kind of peers was definitely a major thing for her career because after – 
kind of after her that third solo album by by the time she got to kind of her breakthrough album Heart Like a Wheel she was surrounding herself with a lot of the kind of contemporary kind of country rock musicians that were all kind of centered around LA at that point like she was covering and hanging out with with Jackson Brown mm-hmm. she actually had a fairly um, deep and romantic relationship with J.D. Souther. Right. They kind of had an on and off thing mm-hmm. for a long time. And, and of course, her friendship with with the Eagles and, and all those guys. But she that also started a, a big upturn in like the quality of songs that she was recording because Linda Ronstadt, she's never really been like a, a main, like songwriting has never been her main thing. She's often co-written songs mm-hmm. with with other writers and things like that. But... She's never been a, a, a songwriter much herself in that she was mainly just trying to display her vocals and find songs that she loved and really connected with and, and create versions of the songs that she really loved. So she started recording a ton of Jackson Brown songs and J.D. Souther songs and various other songs written by a lot of that kind of crew of of various kind of country rock and rock musicians in in LA and around that kind of scene at the time. In 1974, she partnered with the producer Pete Asher, who was kind of a big name, also just like a big name producer around kind of the LA scene at that time. Mm -hmm. She kind of started what many people kind of see as her like golden string of albums or she had like a good three or four albums from her album heart like a wheel to prison and prisoner in disguise to hasten down the wind to simple dreams like each one of those albums had massive hits and a lot of those albums would reach number one or the top the top 10 billboard charts and Mm -hmm. you're no good the song i'm going to play real quick off uh heart like a wheel from 1974 was actually her first, and I I think it was her only number one song. Yeah, she had a number of number one albums, right. of course. But "You're No Good" kind of became her biggest hit in her career up to that point, and definitely kind of made her a massive breakout star. Even though she had been kind of building up momentum mm-hmm. for the years before this, this album and this song specifically, "You're No Good," were definitely the breakout moment for Linda Ronstadt's career. So here's You're No Good off the 1974 album Heart Like a Wheel. Yeah, J.D. Souther had been uh, producing some songs for her, and I think she was just getting so big by that time in 74 that that's why they brought Asher. And I think they worked together, but I think oh, yeah, they brought definitely. him in because he was such a big name at the time. I mean, they definitely thought that Linda was getting to the point where she wanted someone who could kind of bring her that polished L.A. studio 1970s sound. And and she definitely started having some major, major success. Like, she was starting to really start to choose exactly, oh, I want to 
do this song or this, I want to do this song the exact way I want to do it. Real quick here before we play, I'm going to play both her version and the original version by Roy Orbison, but I'll play the Blue Bayou uh, especially too, because especially you, not everyone can can cover a Roy Orbison song. You're gonna have to be a, a once in a lifetime vocalist to really do that justice, especially in the way that Linda Ronstead might. So here's Blue Bayou, written by Roy Orbison from his album In Dreams from 1963. So here's Blue Bayou by Roy Orbison. I'm going back someday. So obviously a a kind of early 60s classic, but um, mm-hmm. I'm going to go right into Linda Ronstadt's version, which kind of became her signature song. Like it's her most popular song on streaming services and everything these days with almost 100 million, 100 million plays. So here's Linda Ronstadt's version of Blue Bayou off her kind of her one of her other biggest albums after her 1974 record. This is off of her 1977 album, Simple Dreams. But here's Blue Bayou by Linda Ronstead. I happen to be a Roy Orbison fan, so you know, not anybody. I don't think just anybody should cover a Roy Orbison song. Oh, I would agree for I mean, sure. His, his vocals are so unreal, so uh, almost to a perfect level. Definitely, I mean, he's definitely a, a vocalist. I would say could be considered a perfect vocalist for sure. Absolutely, and uh, but I mean, I I, I would kind of almost say the same about Linda Ronstadt. I mean, Me she's too. absolutely one of my favorite voices and all of all music i mean i'm gonna play another cut just real quick i'm only gonna play a few seconds of this of this one but i'll probably just play like kind of the opening verse but linda ronstead is definitely one of the few artists because i don't think there are that many artists out there that are like this but i think if she really chooses the right song really loves the song i think potentially some of her performances can be even better than the original yeah. songs. I'm not going to say her version of Blue Bayou is better than Roy's. This might be a slightly controversial opinion, but she also on the same Simple Dreams album, she has a cover of the Rolling Stones song, Tumbling Dice. In my opinion, the definitive version of this song, I think it uh, blows the water off of <laughs> Mick Jagger's uh, performance. But here's Linda Ronstead's Tumbling Dice, and she actually changes the the lyrics to the first verse pretty substantially just to kind of fit a um her perspective instead of a Mick Jagger perspective but here's her version of Tumbling Dice one of my favorite performances of hers 
Absolutely. But here's her performance of Tumbling Dice from 1977, Simple Dreams. definitely a cool version of that song but uh and a great cover um and linda being really i would say at the height of her career at that point oh i would absolutely agree i would definitely agree and um she was kind of by the end of the 70s early 80s she kind of got to the point like that album simple dreams i think kind of accomplished everything that she really wanted to accomplish in the kind of rock and pop music sphere like that simple dreams album was her third Number one album, so I think she kind of felt like... And she was never someone who was really into the celebrity lifestyle Agreed. and things like that. Like She actually moved out of Los Angeles in the early 90s because she didn't want to be around that yeah. um, celebrity lifestyle anymore. So she was never super about always wanting to be on top or mm-hmm. anything. So after, after she had her kind of three or four albums that did the Billboard top topping the charts numbers, she kind of got to the point where she's like, I can... I can kind of just do the music that I really, really want to do. But real quick before I, I like she started doing some jazz standards and even into some Latin music. But real quick before we get into that, I just kind of want to touch on one of her earliest, I guess, influences. Um, a lot of people might not exactly realize how much this artist was influenced by Linda Ronstead because most people just think of them as contemporaries because they were kind of up in the, they were both up and coming female artists in the Mm seventies, but Stevie Nicks uh, talks about a lot and you can find a lot of interviews and things like that where Stevie Nicks talks about being in the, in the late sixties when, when the stone ponies were having their kind of day in the sun, Stevie Nicks was in late high school, early college, like really just, just beginning her singing career. Mm -hmm. And she talks about how hearing Linda Ronstead belt out different drum all over the radio was one of the main things that inspired Stevie Nicks to actually be like, well, hey, I could, I could be a girl in a rock band, and I could, I could be just as big of a star as all my all the guys I love and stuff like that. So, mm. so Linda Ronstead, I mean, I, I can't say for sure if we wouldn't have a Stevie Nicks or Fleetwood Mac without Linda Ronstead, but but different drum was definitely one of the major things that got Stevie Nicks kind of into where she felt like she needed to be to make some of the, her her amazing music. So I'm going to play real quick just off Stevie Nicks' 1981 solo album, Belladonna, just kind of woman. One of the songs I feel like really kind of shows uh, Linda Ronstadt's influence through uh, Stevie's music. So here's Kind of Woman off of the 1981 album, Belladonna by Stevie Nicks. Good. 
That song, I think, really shows Stevie Nicks uh, believing in her vocals like Linda Ronstadt and, you know, just being all in on a song. Absolutely, yeah, Just definitely. like Linda Ronstadt was. Exactly. See, a lot of Stevie Nicks arrangements tend to be fairly maximalist. I mean, like Fleetwood Mac is a fairly maximalist band in mm-hmm. terms of all the parts. And so I think a lot of her, a lot of Stevie's music enjoy, kind of takes that aspect of Fleetwood Mac's production and things like that but that song kind of woman is is definitely a very bare just Mm -hmm. like that finger picked acoustic guitar and some strings and light percussion and things like that so it really just makes way for stevie's vocal in a way that a lot of linda ronstead songs do for linda and actually kind of kind of just talking about centering the vocal Mm -hmm. on a lot of linda's songs like in in and kind of the the way that she started making music into the eighties was she was kind of just, she just started working with whoever she wanted to work with. And she actually ended up making a bunch of, uh, a, a span of albums with, uh, Nelson Riddle, who was actually like a very famed, uh, arranger and producer from the forties and fifties, kind of making a lot of that early pop music who she just like grew up, um, um, listening. I, I guess a, a lot of the music that her mom would play mm-hmm. when she was growing up was that were a lot of these just kind of jazz and, and kind of pop standards. So she made a lot of, um, she made quite a few in the mid eighties, uh, kind of standards albums. And I'm going to play a song for off of her 1986, uh, standards album for sentimental reasons. And this is, this song is actually the title track. I love you for sentimental reasons by Linda Ronstead from her 1986 standards album for sentimental reasons. I think of you every morning Dream of you every night Darling, I'm never Sounds uh, fantastic and uh, really cool that she um, just decided, hey, I'm just going to do what I want to do. Even though she's like a lot of times whenever an artist decides to do that, it's kind of the record label's worst nightmare because they're like, oh, no, it's never going to sell. But her standards albums sold incredibly well. (laughs) Like, I think... I think each one of her standards albums has gone platinum. Hmm. Linda Ron's had kind of just proved she could record whatever she wanted to, and it would still go over immensely well with, with uh, listening audiences, especially in America. And mm-hmm. actually after, after her, um, she recorded that string of standard albums in the mid eighties, she actually decided she wanted to um, sure her father uh, kind of going back, going back to her early childhood. Her father was um, uh, was a was a born in Mexico, and um, her her family was very musical in that she would get those standards and all the Broadway pop and things like that from her mom, and then from her dad she would get all this really authentic mariachi and Mexican mm. music. And so in in 1987 she actually released her first entirely Spanish language album. Canciones de mi padre was entirely in Spanish and she had had a few songs on some of her albums previously that had been in Spanish like she had had a couple Spanish language songs mm-hmm. but this was her first full release again 
her record company was like, are you sure you want to do this? I'm not sure if anyone's going to going to buy a Spanish language album from from Linda Ronstadt. And it ended up actually becoming for for almost uh, five or six years, the highest selling non English speaking album in United States um, recording history. So here's Por Una Amor, For a Love, uh, the first the the first track off of that Canciones de Mi Padre. So here you go. Por Una Amor. Pobre de mí Esta vida mejor que se acabe Yeah, and it, it's hard to comprehend how many you know young artists that that album had an impact on and influenced. It actually sort of led to one of the most surprising, or maybe not surprising, but one of the more one of the influences that I guess one might not think of immediately when they think of Linda Ronstadt's influence on music and the music industry. But that album actually had a pretty major impact on Selena Quintanilla's Mm. career, the um, Latin American pop singer from the late 80s and early 90s. Her her father, Abraham Quintanilla, was kind of Selena's manager throughout the entirety of her career Mm -hmm. and was one of the kind of major influences in her actually deciding to pursue music in any capacity. But Abraham was actually initially, one of the things that actually initially kind of led Abraham to be like, oh, wow, Selena could actually be a major crossover artist Mm -hmm. was him kind of hearing Linda Ronstadt's Spanish-speaking albums and being like, wow, this is a, uh, an artist I normally grew up with being like on pop radio and everything, right. and now she's got this amazing Spanish music. Like maybe my daughter could kind of almost do the opposite and mm-hmm. start by making a bunch of amazing Spanish music and kind of transferring into becoming an, an incredible pop artist. And following Linda's kind of formula was definitely a major influence in the kind of the beginnings of Selena's career. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to play... Uh, Say Una Vez off of Amor Prohibido from 1960 or 1994, the uh, Selena Quintanilla track, one of my favorite songs from Selena and a, a major, a major hit for this album, Amor Prohibido. So here's Say Una Vez. Well, obviously, Selena was a huge star, and uh, really cool to think about Linda Ronstadt being a, a major influence of hers. Definitely, and I mean, Selena is, along with Linda Ronstadt, one of my favorite all-time vocalists. Like, they would both probably be in a top ten list if I was going to make a top ten list of incredible vocalists. And so, it's mm-hmm. it's very cool to kind of see the way that other other artists can shape other artists, even in ways that one might not normally even think of. I'll kind of back to Linda's 
Linda Ronstadt's career in the late 80s. Actually, this this album came out uh, in the, the, the same year as her Spanish-language album, but again, kind of following Linda's just kind of desire to just make music exactly how she wants to make music. In 1987, she formed a kind of her first actual, the only group she's been in since the Stone Ponies, her group kind of, it's an unofficial title, I suppose, but it's just called Trio between uh, Linda Ronstead, Emmylou Harris, and Dolly Parton, kind of two of her long longest friends. Uh, they had been, her and Dolly Parton and Emmylou Harris had been had been friends and collaborators since the since the seventies. So for over ten years at that by this point in in eight, 1987, Trio had again major major success in the country music charts and kind of relaunched Linda Ronstead as a major player in the country music scene that had actually changed by the early nineties and late eighties had changed drastically since mm-hmm. Linda was making her first country music and country rock in the early early 70s so here is to know him is to love him off of the 1987 album trio by dolly parton linda ronstead and emmy lou harris quite the uh trio of vocalists there but here's to know him is to love him It would have been kind of a thrill for the three of them. I mean, you know, them influencing each other over the years. Oh, absolutely. And then to get together in a trio. I mean, that must have been just uh, awesome. They actually did a couple of albums. There's a that, – that first album was just called Trio. And then I believe there's an album that they did in the mid to late 90s just called Trio 2. And, yeah, that, that trio group is actually where Linda – Linda Ronstadt has actually said in interviews that – She's happiest with her voice on those trio albums. Mm, like she feels she feels like she was at her best as a singer and as a vocalist and performer on on those albums she made with Dolly and huh. Emmy Lou. So that probably also just goes to show the um musical collaboration and musical relationship that those three were able to have. Definitely. And there's some really there's some really cool words. If you look up uh cuz uh, in 2019 Linda Ronstead uh, received the uh, Kennedy Honors Award, uh, kind of one of the biggest, probably one of the biggest awards that a musician can s- receive in the U.S. And uh, Amy Lou Harris comes out and kind of does her induction speech and everything. And and uh, you can see Linda Ronstadt getting really emotional during Amy Lou's speech. So it really just goes to show there they have a pretty incredible mm-hmm. friendship, and there's a lot of love in that music. And that definitely that that kind of that album trio, which definitely kind of brought Linda back to the forefront of kind of the country music and kind of alternative country song and singer songwriter mm-hmm. uh, circles that she was kind of initially famous in. That definitely made a lot of her influence into the '90s and early 2000s a lot more apparent in artists like Sheryl Crow and Carrie Underwood and a lot of the kind of more modern singer songwriter and um country style vocalist so Definitely. so i'm going to play uh strong enough by cheryl crow off her 1993 album and cheryl crow has been a a uh 
longtime Linda Ronstead fan and kind of advocate. Definitely talks up her influence a lot in her music. So here's Strong Enough by Sheryl Crow from 1993. Yeah, great song off a equally great album uh, by Sheryl Crow, and uh, definitely can hear the influence coming through from Linda Ronstad. And then kind of, a, I guess this is a sort of another, obviously very modern or fairly modern country artist uh, that's talked a lot about his uh, the influence that he takes from Linda Ronstad. But uh, Vince Gill uh, actually talks a lot about in multiple interviews how one of the ways that he likes to, um, when he's writing a song or when he's working on a song or anything like that, he actually, one of the things that he likes to do is actually try to imagine Linda Ronstead's vocal on the song. If he can do that and kind of just spend a second kind of picturing Linda Ronstead singing the song, then then he can get up on the mic and deliver an, a, what he thinks is a fantastic vocal wow. performance. So it's definitely not necessarily, I mean, like a lot of the... Um, People who tend to talk up a lot of Linda Ronstadt's influence tend to be people who either knew her or were like um, in the studio with her at one point. So it's kind of cool to see like a new, a fairly new at that time in the in the mid '90s country artist kind of being like, mm-hmm. yeah, whenever I'm trying to write a song, I I like to kind of imagine what it would be like through through Linda Ronstadt's eyes. So here's "Go Rest High on That Mountain" off of the 19. 19- 94 album when love finds you by vince gill but um you can definitely hear the kind of way that he is definitely thinking of his songs almost as if like linda ronstead was performing the song but here's go rest high on that mountain by vince gill wish i could see angels faces when they Yeah, we made a similar comment uh, about Stevie Nicks, you know, really kind of putting it all behind her vocals and the song. And you hear that with Vince Gill right there as oh, well. It's really neat to think about him actually picturing, you know, Linda Ronstadt, like thinking about how she would do it. Oh, yeah, definitely. That's an enormous influence. Definitely. And it, it's definitely he definitely talks about the way that her that, that her voice shaped the way that he sings. Absolutely. And mm-hmm. I. I wouldn't be too surprised. I mean, I don't know entirely all the um, politics that go behind their decisions, but Vince Gill has also kind of recently been the um, kind of the draft pick on the Eagles to sub in for Glenn Fry mm-hmm. post right. Glenn Fry's passing. And I wouldn't be too surprised if 
that Linda Ronstadt connection was definitely yeah, um, I could see a, that. a way that they kind of were able to bring Vince Gill kind of successfully into the the Eagles unit. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if that was definitely a um, talking point and point of connection for them. I kind of bring it into the, um, I guess, more modern musical sphere a little bit. It's one of the artists from the last like decade or so that's been very, very vocal about um, their love for Linda Ronstadt and uh, and um, their influence that they've taken from her is the uh, rock band Haim, the uh, three sisters out of L.A. who kind of have their own their own rock band, uh, mm-hmm. Danielle Esty and Alana Haim. They've been active since kind of around 2010, 2011 or so. Um, but they they talk a lot about in in various interviews how when they were kids they had a band with their parents hmm. they would they would play shows or they would play parties and stuff and a lot of the a lot of the songs that they would cover as a as their little family band would be Linda Ronstadt mm-hmm. songs and they actually have uh even even as old as as older women in actually Heim they've covered you're no good a few times and they definitely say that that's one of their favorite songs to kind of just break out if they want to have a band practice or they haven't practiced in a while and they need to break out a song that's just going to get them going and get Mm -hmm. them grooving. They'll break out. You're no good. So I want to play a song off their most recent album, women in music part three, which came out in actually the, just this past year, 2021. And this song is uh, just called the steps by Haim from their 2021 album, women, women in music part three, but they are definitely kind of one of the more modern uh, stepping stones for Linda Ronstadt's influence and in kind of pop music and the way that she's kind of been a ever-growing presence on the music industry. So here's the steps by Haim. pick with Haim. And, uh, you know, I think it's probably an understatement to say that we've only scratched the surface. Oh, definitely. People who have been influenced, artists have been influenced by um, Linda Ronstadt. Absolutely. But I mean, we we don't want to take up too much more time, but, and we've, we've kind of traced a lot of, a lot of her kind of general career, but uh, I want to leave you guys with a song that kind of it goes back to what the the beginnings of what would become trio. It's a song off her Simple Dreams album, "I Will Never Marry," and it actually features Dolly Parton on harmony vocals. And uh, I think this is one of their re- first recorded collaborations. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I thought that would be a nice way to kind of end off the uh, Linda Ronstadt episode with a nice nice duet between her and Dolly Parton. So uh, thank you guys so much for listening to our our episode of Influenced. And this has been Linda Ronstead. And I've been Blake Sokoloff. And I'm Robert Dean. And said thank you guys so much for listening. Here's I Will Never Marry from Simple Dreams uh, from 1977 by Linda Ronstead and Dolly Parton. I never will marry. I'll be no man's wife. I expect to live.
the days of my life Well, the train pulled out The whistle blew With a long and a lonesome moan He's gone 